Jonathan Edwards, during the height of the Great Awakening, said this, Our external delights, our earthly pleasures, our ambitions, our reputations, our human relationships, for all these things, our desires are eager, our appetites are strong, our love is warm, and it is affectionate. When it comes to these things, our hearts are tender and sensitive. They are deeply impressed. They are easily moved. They are much concerned, and they are greatly engaged. We are depressed at our losses, and we are excited and joyful about any worldly success or prosperity. But when it comes to spiritual matters, oh, how dull we feel. How heavy and hard are our hearts. We can sit here at the infinite height and length and breadth and love of God in Christ Jesus, of His giving His infinitely dear Son, and yet sit here cold and unmoved. If we are going to be excited about anything, Edwards said, shouldn't it be about our spiritual lives? Is there anything more inspiring, more exciting, more lovable and desirable in heaven or on earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ? We should be utterly humbled that we are not more appreciative emotionally affected than we are in the church. We are approaching a very familiar passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47 this morning. And my prayer this morning is that as we promote, pro, uh, approach this familiar passage, one with familiar gospel things, my prayer is that above every other affection, every other passion, that God would do an awakening in your heart. That God would do something. He would open up our eyes in a new and fresh way to see His infinite greatness and glory through His Word and through the giving of His church. That He would open up our hearts to feel the weight of the needs of the lost and dying world and that He would open up our hearts to the grace and the joy of living relentlessly devoted to Him. Two Sundays ago, Pastor Phil preached from Acts 2, verse 37 uh, through, uh, uh, through 41, really. And that is where we saw the day of Pentecost where the people heard the Word of God. They were cut to the heart. They repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus Christ, and were baptized. And in that, they received the gift of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. These, these verses describe the first conversions of the early church. And this morning, we are going to answer the question, what happened next? What happened next? Having repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus, received baptism, what did these early Christians do? So let's look at Acts chapter 2, 
starting in verse 42. And, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Before we get into our message today, I want us to see the structure, and it's very important, the structure of this passage of Scripture. We're, we're talking about a story, a story that, you know, you ever, I don't know if you've ever been around someone that told, uh, told one of those stories like, uh, you should have been there. Uh, this is one of those stories where you should have been there. Uh, and we, we feel that, and we, we get a sense of that. Man, I wish I was there. Uh, the good thing about it is uh, God is the same today as He was then, and uh, we can be there, and we get to, to get a sense of God's glory and His greatness through this passage. But it's important for us to see the structure. In verse 41, it says, So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we see the Lord's work in salvation. And then you look down at verse 47, and you see, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it's very important for us to see that the Lord is at work here. It is the Lord who brings salvation. It is the Lord who converts souls. It is the Lord who continues to grace the church with spiritual growth. And this is the Lord's work, and that is very important for us to see in the structure. And then in verse 42 is somewhat of a summary statement. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. This is a summary statement which is basically unpacked in detail in verses 43 through 47. Verse 42 is key because what we see here is the very first thing that these, these new believers did. These new believers says they were devoted. That is, seriously and earnestly persisting. They persisted in four things. They persisted in the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And each of these four devotions leads to a means of grace in the following verses. And so you can draw a, from these summary statements a direct connection back to the summary. And so we'll walk through this and we're going to see. So the first thing that we see these believers do is devote themselves to Christ. What were they devoted to? Verse 42, the, the apostles' teaching, first and foremost. As we observed a few weeks ago, the Word of God was preached, and by God's grace, it brought 3,000 souls to salvation. And in this context we see that indeed the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. 
We see this. And the preaching of Christ is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. God calls them to be brought forth by the word of truth, having received His word. That's what verse 41 says. Being born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. It is the word of God that is able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And after receiving the word by faith, they devoted themselves to this word. And the question I have is, why did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? Because I believe that these, these believers were learning. They were learning. They knew that the word of God was able to build them up in the faith. They believed that the Word of God was necessary for spiritual life and nourishment because we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I believe that these believers understood that the Word convicts us of sin and turns us to righteousness for it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I believe these uh, new converts, they believe the Word of God, that it gives direction and guidance as a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. I believe these, these believers, they believe that a, even amid an ungodly and hostile culture, that the Word of God gave wisdom. It gave wisdom and guidance like a lamp shining in a dark place. I believe these believers came to understand that the Word of God, it gave hope to those who are suffering by the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And as we see throughout the books of Acts, these, we understand that it was the Word of God that was the means of growth and strength of the church. In Acts 6-7, we see, And the Word of God increased. The Word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied. The Word of God increased, and then disciples were multiplied. Then we see in Acts 12, 24, but the Word of God grew, and then it multiplied the church. In Acts 13, verse 49, and the Word of the Lord spread throughout all the region. So why was the first thing that uh, uh, these believers devoted themselves was to the apostles teaching because it was through the word of God that their lives were changed forever. It's how they become uh, uh, knew that they were lost and knew they needed Jesus and it is that means that continues to grow them up and to su sustain them and to secure them and to build them and the means to which Christ would build his church. These believers understood that through the apostles' teachings, this means of grace called the Word of God that He gives to His people in and through His Word. This grace is what saves them and what sanctifies them. And so they devoted themselves sincerely to the apostles' teaching. And for us today, we need to understand, church, that there is no evidence in Scripture of salvation nor sanctification where the Word of God is not known. And these believers were devoted to making the Word of Christ 
supreme in their lives. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What else does it say? It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. At Redeemer, we, uh, we believe fellowship is partnering with one another in gospel love. But in our Christian circles today, the word fellowship has come to mean little more than Christian social activity. We think if we just come together and in the name of Christ and we do these things in the name of Christ, that this is fellowship. But it's much more than that. This is not the meaning of the word fellowship in the New Testament, nor was what this, these early believers were devoted to. If, let's look at, uh, if you look at 1 John 1.3, 1 John 1.3, it says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, in, in, in both Acts 2.42, their devotion to the fellowship, and in 1 John 1.3, the fellowship, the Greek word koinia, means to share a common life. This is important because in this, in this we learn that sharing a common life is not an activity to enjoy. It is a relationship to be had. And 1 John tells us this, a relationship with, with who? It is a relationship, it is a common shared life with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. They were not just devoting themselves to a social activity, they were devoting themselves to the fellowship with the Father, the fellowship with the Son, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. They, these believers were devoting themselves to relationship that consisted of sharing together the very life of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is what brings them together. It is through their union with Christ that they were formed into a spiritual community, fellow members of the body of Christ. So in fellowship, when we talk about partnering, what we're talking about is union. It is union with the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Union with the triune God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it is union with each other based on the truth that we have union with Christ. And this is what it means to partner. We're not partnering together to just do something. We are partnering with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were devoted to this fellowship. It involved union. And what a glorious truth this is that God desires to have fellowship with us through the Holy Spirit. God desires to share with you. He has called us. He has called us into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, and into a living and sanctifying relationship with Him by placing us in Christ. So, when we talk about fellowship, we're not just talking about union, we're also talking about communion. You see, this vertical aspect of fellowship, 
our union with God and our communion with God, it provides the foundation and the pattern for our horizontal aspect of fellowship among believers. This is, this is so important. 1 John 1, 3 is so important. John 14 is so important. As we read about the work of the Spirit this morning in build, in illumination, John 16 is so important. The teaching about us and the Father being one, being union with God through Jesus Christ, is foundational to our union with one another. It is fundamental to our communion with God and our communion with one another. J.I. Packer says, Fellowship with God is the source from which fellowship among Christians springs. And fellowship with God is the end to which Christian fellowship is a means. Get that? Fellowship with God is the end to which Christian fellowship is the means. So the fellowship that we have one another is solely based upon the truth of the gospel. What are we partnering with? What are we unified in? We're unified with one another in what? In gospel love. It is the gospel. It is the truth of Jesus Christ crucified for you, loving you, dying for you, rising for you, ascending for you, and coming back for you. This is what affects and foundationally moves us to have that horizontal aspect of fellowship among each other. What else did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread, um, most scholars believe, is, is definitely a reference to the Lord's Supper. It's a reference to communion. And how important it was in the worship life of the early church. Certainly, by all means, it doesn't, communion did not look like what we may share today in practice. It also would reference, really, these believers sharing a meal together, similar to the one that Jesus shared with His disciples in the upper room the night He was betrayed. But part of their breaking of bread together, the supper, would absolutely be a specific focus on remembering Christ's work on the cross. So, the church fellowship, in the breaking of bread, they are sharing together in the work of Christ as they receive the Lord's Supper. So in devotion to fellowship, there is this devotion to the breaking of bread. And in that, they're sharing a common life in Christ, and they're sharing together in the work of Christ as they receive the bread of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? 
And is not the bread that we break a participation in the blood of Christ? You see, see what Paul says. Look at this word that he uses in 1 Corinthians. Listen. He says, is, is our remembrance, is our, is our celebration of Christ not a participation in His, in, in his body? that was broken in His blood. That word participation, any know what, anybody want to guess what the original um, meaning of that word participation is? What's the Greek word? It's koinia. It's fellowship. He says, then he goes on in uh, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 10, because there is one loaf, one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one loaf. I, w- I wanted to share that with you because I want you to see the emphasis on the fact that this is something that we share together as Christ followers. That is, the church, as the church, we participate together in the body of Christ. This is not just something that we do, right? This is not just something that we eat and drink. This is an act of worship. And in worshiping, we are celebrating that we have koinonia with the Father through the Son. And these believers were devoted to the continual celebration of the salvation that they had been given by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And through the breaking of the bread... They remembered Christ's death. They reflected on the grace and forgiveness He provides. They renewed their commitment to Christ and to each other. And they rejoiced that in the death of Christ they live. They were devoted to this. And finally, we see the fourth thing they were devoted to. And that is prayers. What is... I got to thinking about this. What does it mean for a church to be devoted to prayer? Prayer is a very unique thing. It's hard to describe. But what does it mean to be devoted to prayer? Here in Acts 2, what we see is that the prayers, we see prayer was a source of life in the early church. It was the air that they breathed day in and day out. It was foundational and it was fundamental to their devotion to God. So what does it mean to be like that? In prayer, we believe that God is sovereign over everything in this world. And He supplies everything that we need. What does this mean? These believers were completely and sincerely devoted to being utterly dependent on God's power. Desperate for God's grace and devoted to worship of Him. We can read through the entire book of Acts and what we see is these believers prayed for the needs of the church. They prayed for the fruit of God's Word. 
And they prayed for the expansion of God's glory to the ends of the earth. They were devoted to being utterly dependent upon God. God, You alone can do this. You are the Lord. It is Your Word that enabled us to be saved. It is Your Word that sanctifies us today. We are completely and utterly dependent upon You. And this early church truly believed and thus experienced that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we see that they were devoted to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And their devotion led to three things. First, their devotion led to affection for God. Affection for God. What happened as these, devo as these believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Look at verse 43. It says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In other words, when the early church devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, they also had in mind the many wonders and signs that they were, they were experiencing that were actually done through the apostles' hands. And this is what caused the, all of these things, their devotion, this is what caused them to stand in awe of God's power. The teachings of the apostles was nothing to be trifled with. When they spoke, God worked. Peter got up and proclaimed, and 3,000 people God drew to Himself. He illuminated their minds. He regenerated their hearts. And He set them on a trajectory of Christ-honoring, sacrificial living. When they spoke, God worked. And awe fell over these believers as they began to see the Word of Christ taught to them as they begin to have their minds illuminated by this teaching. Awe is not a word that we use a lot in our speaking today. So I think it's good for us to think through. I believe that awe, when, when I think about that, it is, a, it is an illumination that overwhelms our mind, that works in our heart. It overwhelms our thinking to get to our heart. We must be completely captivated by the apostles' teaching in order to gain the wisdom that is in it. It must take the mind first. We can see this in Romans uh, 10. Verse, verse 2, there's no feeling, there's no emotion that leads to real life or joy if it is not based on the truth about you and about God. So there is truth that is happening in our mind. But Christianity is not just about getting the truth right, but having truth that captures our heart. 
We can be right in our thinking and wrong in our worship. I think that's what Jonathan Edwards was thinking. Like, you know all this, but why is it not having an Acts 2 type, type impact in the church? That we can know all about the gospel, we can sing all the songs, say all the prayers, but it is only through our heartfelt devotion and our awe thinking about God that captures our heart that says He is worth it. He is that pearl of great price. He is that treasure in the field. He is worth laying it all aside and following hard after. If we're not fascinated with Christ this morning, I believe we would be we'd be wrong to think that we can know Him, claim to know Him. If we're not captivated by Christ this morning, if we're not captivated by Christ, we can hardly claim to know Him. I believe too many of us, universally, too many of us and too many of our churches settle. We settle for the same truths over and over without expecting God to move. And this is not the means of grace that the early church experienced. Their devotion to Christ heightened their affection of Christ. It heightened it. But awe is not... Just something, it's important to see, it's not something that they just experienced in conversion. Awe is something that they experienced in day in, day out faith in biblical community. As we watch God move over and over for one another and in one another, our hearts should be awakened in wonder, again, what must we do? We've been cut to the heart. This is the question. What must we do? And for the Christian, I believe when we hear the message of God, that should all, oh, what must I do, Lord? What must I do? Are you captivated by Christ? Do you stand in awe of Christ this morning that even while you are yet a sinner, Christ demonstrated His love by dying for you? Do you stand in awe of the wonder of the gospel this morning? This early church, they experienced that. Their devotion to the Word of Christ led them to have greater affection for Christ. So we see that, but we also see that their devotion led to generosity for others. The Christians in that first church were no doubt captured by a vibrant, dynamic, and personal vision of God. They were in awe. But that did not keep them from focusing on one another. Look, at, look down at the Scriptures. Verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together. What were they together in? 
and all things in common. What were they together in? They were together in the gospel. They were union. They were in union with Christ, and they were communing with Christ. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This tells us something about Christianity today through their example here. Christianity does not isolate believers to focus exclusively on their own relationship with Jesus. But it is the relationship with Jesus that makes each believer the vital vein in the body of Christ. Each one of them caring what others need from God to the one in need. So what has been grace to them, they then took to other people. And this is a means of grace, and it's important for us to see. Because God promises to meet our every need. And in many times, for you, and if we could have testimony to this, you can think and reflect through this. Many times, if not most often, He meets those needs through another believer and His holy church. God has given you spiritual gifts to bless the body. He gives gifts to each of us, not for our own self-expression, not for our own self-fulfillment, but to feel what is lacking in someone else by meeting the genuine needs. As 1 Peter 4 would describe, God has given each of us grace that was not meant to end with us, but to extend to someone else. And this is what I find astonishing about this is that the Christians felt so secure in God's promises that they let go of all they had to help one another. I'm not giving any practical application here. I think this this is descriptive of what was happening. God was gracious to them. They saw need. They met need. But at the end of the day, what I'm astonished by in this is that they felt so secure in God's promises that they were able to let go. And to the watching world, it was unexplainable, selfless generosity. Think about what happened later on in Macedonia. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Suffering saints, poor people, but their abundance of joy to take what little they had, realizing that it was God's grace to them to give away to someone else is a picture of ultimately their devotion to the fellowship that they have with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the communion they have with the saints. Their devotion to fellowship led to their generosity for others. And finally, their devotion led to joy in worship. 
In verse 46 it says, And day by day, day by day, it's a picture of our continual life. It's not just this moment in time, but it was, this was a life that they were living. It's not an experience that they had. It's not just a position in time. This is their life. And day by day, they're attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Day in and day out, these early believers were both formally attending the temple and informally devoted to fellowship. Formally attending the temple, informally breaking bread in their homes. And in doing this, they were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. And what this does for us is it shows us the, that togetherness was a precious thing to these believers in the early church. They enjoyed the Lord. They enjoyed celebrating the body and blood of Jesus Christ together. They enjoyed having one another in their homes. They enjoyed formally going to church and singing to one another and reading the scriptures together and praying together. They, they actually enjoyed it. Church was not a burden. Church was not a duty. Church was life. And they enjoyed it. It was precious to them. And it seems like they were together with, with each other almost in some way every single day. And in their togetherness, there was gladness, there was generosity, and there was joy. And it was worshipful to the Lord. So what were they devoted to? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. This led to affection. This led to, to a greater affection for God. This led to generosity for others. It, it, it led to a joyful life of worship. And through this means of grace, the church, finally what we see is that God builds His church. And the Lord added. When we love each other and care for each other as members of the church, we sacrifice for each other and we lay down our lives for each other. It speaks a wonderful and marvelous and saving word to this world. Think about what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If we, if we were to start caring for each other deeply, devoting ourselves to true biblical community, it is the power of God to salvation. It is going to affect our ability to reach other people. In their living, in their devotion, they had favor with all people. In Acts 
Luke is pretty intentional to show us all the people that were coming to faith in Christ, right? He tells us in Acts 1.15, started about 120 people. By Acts 2.41, we've got about 3,000, right? In Acts 4, it's grew to 5,000. He continues to talk in Acts 6, 1 and 7 that the number of disciples was increasing. In Acts 9, 31, we read that the church grew daily in numbers, was strengthened in numbers. You look at Acts eleven twenty one. 21. This is talking about the church at Antioch, and Luke is telling us how it's growing. He says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Then you look at Acts eleven twenty four, 24, talking about Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and great and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then later on in verse 20, uh, 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and they taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Acts 14, 1, 16.5, 17.12, 19.26. The story continues. God uses the church to grow His church. So those who, who received His word were baptized and they were added that day. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These believers were not preoccupied with their learning, with their sharing, with their worshiping, that they forgot about their witnessing. They were fully devoted to Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I wonder today, if we sit there and we think, man, I wish I'd have been there. I wish I'd experienced that. Oh, how I wished I would have saw 3,000, 5,000. I wish I'd have saw great multitudes of people come to Christ. Oh, how I wish I could experience the power of God. Church, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can choose because of His work in your life. Because you have received the gospel and you've responded in repentance and faith to the gospel. Today is a day where you can recommit your life and your devotion and your sincerity to gospel living. And in your committing to gospel living, you can experience the power of God. These early believers devoted themselves to God, which led to their affection, generosity, and joy. And through the outpouring of their devotion, God built His church. These truths are beautiful and also hopeful because it is a beautiful and hopeful reality for us at Redeemer today that today we have the gracious opportunity to devote ourselves to the Lord's table. We have the ability to come together and devote ourselves to sharing together in the work of Christ as we receive 
the body and blood of Christ. Will you devote yourself that, to that today? At Redeemer Church, we practice open communion, which means if you are believing in Jesus Christ for salvation and you are not living in unrepentant sin, we share a common life. And in sharing a common life, we invite you to join with us in seeking to remember Christ's death, in seeking to reflect on His grace and forgiveness in and through the cross, as we seek to renew our commitment to Him and each other, and we rejoice in His death, we now live.